You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. My message up right now, the divine person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask a simple question. How can we know that the Holy Spirit is indeed a divine person? And before I get into that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this past week on Friday over at Soul Kitchen, uh, where Bob was cooking and we were serving the people. There were a couple of people there, uh, not believers. And I always seek opportunities to witness and to speak, and I, I plant seeds, I go fishing. And that's what he said, we're fishers of men. So I throw lures out there, I make statements that are enticing, make you wonder more. I'll say half things about what I am and what I do. And I'll refer to things that I can see, it stirs. It's just like when I was a boy, we would go fishing, and we would use these little rubber worms and these fishing lures. You know, you just make it look interesting enough that something goes after it. And uh, very frequently, I have opportunity to share my faith with the people. They ask me a question, I'm, I'm able to share with them. And there was this one couple of women that had come, this is the second time they had come into the kitchen. And I found common ground in the fact that uh, she was, one of the women was learning piano, and we spoke about the method she was using, and I referred to, they had seen me do piano music on a Friday, and they asked why I was not doing it this Friday, and I said, well, we're a little short-staffed, so I have to wait on tables. So we started talking about that, and I started talking about my method of playing piano, which is, uh, I can't read any music at all, I don't know, you know, everything's by ear, it's by feel, and the method I used specifically was designed so that I could become more intimate with the instrument so that it would become an extension of my feelings because that was, for me, more conducive to a relationship through music, that I could make the instrument express my feelings, my heart. And I can, as the years have gone by, I can do that. And, and so I was explaining this method to her and I was talking about the the form that I used, and she was very interested. And I used the analogy of a relationship with a person. Let's say that you have a, a husband and wife, a boyfriend, or a girlfriend. Uh, if you approach a relationship, a romantic relationship, from a technical perspective, uh, dotting all the I's, crossing the T's, making it perfect, like, you know, the a structure, uh, that would be a miserable relationship. But there would not be room for a lot of real romance. Because romance is birthed in the spontaneity and the, the whim of the moment and the feelings, erupt, things change. You, you have to constantly uh, speed up, slow down, uh, lower, raise your voice. It's, it's, it's not a very structured thing and that's what the way that a romantic relationship evolves. So I was telling them, I said, that's why the way I play piano is important because I'm able to relate to God. And that's when I said to them, you see, because God is a person. And he's not a concept or, or a thought. He's a person, and he's alive, and he's real. And right when I said that, one of the ladies did this. Because <laughs> she could feel God in the room, and his presence came. And the other lady just looked at me, kind of frightened. So I said, like, like when I relate to him, it's, it's very intimate and personal, and I can communicate through the instrument because he needs to be romanced. He wants to, to feel because he's alive and he's well and he's here with us. And that they were really, wow, so what a 
what is your church's name? They started at, they were not believers, but they were interested. And that's this is really one of the greatest things we have, if not, well, I can say, the greatest asset of the believer is the Holy Spirit as a person with us, the reality of God, the reality of His presence. And if we spend more time considering this question, how can we know that the Holy Spirit is indeed a divine person? We'll be able to grow in our intimacy. Uh, we know that the Trinity, of course, the passage that we see, it, it speaks, this is Jesus talking in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. In John 14, now verse 15, uh, 26, it continues, or 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. Now when we think about the Trinity, we know that Jesus, when He was on earth, basically carried everything in Himself. In Colossians it says, in Christ dwelt the fullness of of the deity, the fullness of the Godhead bodily in bodily form. And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and He became flesh with us. Here He's talking about a lasting relationship and a recurring relationship that extends beyond His death, His burial, and even His resurrection. He's speaking about fellowship. He's speaking about being together, and he talks of himself when he will come and when he will be with us, and the fact that the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And we know this: this that he's talking about is not a theory or an idea, but it's an actual physical type person, a mentality. Yes, spirit, but if you start to think of him as a person, then you develop that relationship as a person. The Father we understand, the Son we understand, but in Trinity we see Him, and we also know that He possesses a mind, emotions, and a will. How do we determine that someone is a person versus an object? Well, there's a number of criteria. Scientifically, you can approach uh, the concept of what is sentientness, what is a sentient being. That is a being that is able to feel emotional capacity. And really, what is a soul? We say, in most agreed definition, mind, emotions, and will. So we see not only is the Holy Spirit uh, in person like the Spirit, but He's also very soulish in this regard. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, 
the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit uh, um, who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. He cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Now we see here in this passage the mind of the Spirit, the emotions of the Spirit, and the will of the Spirit. I think we can conclude that the Holy Spirit is a sentient being. We know that He's God. We know that He's in the Trinity. But we need to move past only having the concept of a physical form of Father, Jesus. Everybody can picture Jesus. Everybody can picture the Father. The Spirit's a little more technical. And it doesn't need to be. Because your mentality of Him, it is based, if it is based upon the Word of God, you're going to see that He very easily fits the description of a living, breathing person that is with us today. It is God with us today, the fulfillment of the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, that all will know me, he said, that uh, they will be my people, I will be their God, and he spoke it prophetically about the time will come that no one will have to say to his neighbor, uh, God is like this, because all will know me, or all will have the ability to know God personally. In other words, your own it's like your own personal God, just for you that you can have and live with. And that's what the Holy Spirit has come to give us, what He's come to provide for us. Hey, come in, come in. No problem. She's right there. That's what the Holy Spirit has come, come to give us. Because He has a mind, emotions, and now, as we build on this foundation, I want to look at uh, seven things that show us that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. Now, some of these are, may surprise you. Uh, some of them you may already know and understand. But it's important that we go through them so that you can see these are proofs that he's not something mystical, but he's very real and very tangible and very present with us as an individual. The first thing that not everyone realizes is that he can be heard. You understand? Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This word grieve, it means to make sad, it means to hurt the feelings of someone. And any way you look at this word in the Bible, based upon its original Greek usage, it always talks about people being saddened or hurt by someone. In other words, you can hurt his feelings. You think, well, how do you, how do you hurt his feelings? Well, start thinking about relationships you have with people. How does a person's feelings get hurt? Uh, I think the number one reason why people will get their feelings hurt is because we maybe uh, do, do, are not grateful for something. Uh, what if someone gives you a gift? What if someone goes for your birthday and buys a nice present and brings it to you and they offer it to you? Uh, I use the analogy of the pen and I have this nice pen, I give you a pen, you receive it, and you look at it, and yeah, I got a bunch of pens. And you 
throw it to the side. Well, I took time to pick that pen out. I went and looked at the pen store. I found just the right one for you. And you didn't appreciate it. So what happens? I'm grieved. I get my feelings hurt. Uh, another reason, now this is exactly what happens with the Holy Spirit. The number one reason why I believe that he's grieved is because of a simple lack of gratitude for him. For the gifts he gives us. He gives us many gifts, which we'll see later about the 12th chapter of 1st Corinthians. All the treasures, all the blessings, all of the consolation, all of the love that he gives us constantly. And sometimes we become oblivious to the idea that he's there doing it. A constant provider, but are we always recognizing the Holy Spirit, saying, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And if not, then we have to conclude that we could be hurting his feelings. Another reason why people get their feelings hurt is when you do not include them. Have you ever had a circle of friends, and maybe three or four of you, girls with their girlfriends, guys with their guy friends, and you... Uh, always do things together. Let's say that you find a certain restaurant and you guys love eating at that restaurant. That's your thing. Like maybe once a week you go to that cafe and you laugh and you know you laugh until milk is coming out of your nose. You know that kind of just fun times, enjoyable. And then one day you find out of your little group of four, the three of them went without you and didn't tell you. In other words, they excluded you from the, the camaraderie or that fellowship, that time that you had spent together before. What happens? You grieved. You get your feelings hurt. It's very common because why didn't they involve me? Why didn't they invite me to be a part of what they were doing? And really, you try to be an adult. You try to pretend that your feelings are not hurt, but your feelings are hurt. You may even cop an attitude. Say, whatever, I don't, care. I don't want to go to the stupid restaurant anyway. You get, it's hurt speaking in that case, because your feelings are hurt. I know. And then people say, what the Holy Spirit is? God, He's so powerful. He couldn't possibly be affected like that. No, He is. Jesus was affected that way. Jesus was affected by lack of gratitude. He was affected by not being included. He wanted to be a part. God's a jealous God. Why would He say God is a jealous God if He weren't truly Jealous. Have you ever had a friend that's jealous of the relationship they have with you? Sometimes they can be so jealous it's kind of weird. Well, God is even more weird than that. His jealousy is unlimited. He wants you. He wants you. He wants your affections. He wants all of you more than anything else. He wants to be the first thing in your life. And when we're not, this is the way that we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit can be standing, because the Holy Spirit is always present, but we're not always focusing on the Spirit. But the more we focus on the Spirit, the more included the Holy Spirit is, the less you have a chance of making Him feel sad. Uh, uh, brother and I were um, sharing, Francois and I were talking earlier, about different meetings we've been in, where you could feel the presence of the Lord, and then someone would step up to speak, and when they would, you'd feel the presence leave. Uh, there are people that have been, we found sometimes, that even though the Spirit of the Lord is present and doing something, when they open their mouth and speak, it's like the Lord backs away. You feel a difference in the air. I think these people are people who have had a falling out with the Holy Spirit. So that's not possible. I, I really believe it is. I've had the Holy Spirit angry at me before. 
I've been in a wrong place with the Holy Spirit. I've grieved the Holy Spirit before and had Him stand away from me until I went and begged for His forgiveness and promised to not do what I had done again and promised to include Him more frequently and invite Him everywhere I go. And this is one of the reasons why people do not invite the Holy Spirit everywhere because you have a religious mentality about Him that He's some uptight guy that can't handle the delicacies of life, the difficult things. He's going to be offended, maybe, because of that thing or this. You know, you, you have, perhaps, a, a super spiritual mentality about what the Holy Spirit sees and feels, His feelings. But if you meter it by what we see in Jesus, you have a better understanding. Because Jesus was criticized by the uptight people because He was not uptight. In fact, he was including himself in many circles that were considered not proper, not kosher, not correct. He would hang out with those people. They call him a, a wine bibber. Why? Because he happened to keep company with people that drank wine. He was a friend of, of sinners and tax collectors. Who termed that? Who put those names on him for that reason? People who are uptight. Jesus was not uptight. Do you ever picture Jesus being uptight? No. He loved people. He loved people. He loved the kids. Even the disciples say, stop bothering the master. And he says, man, let those kids come to me. Theirs is the kingdom. Uh, of such, the kingdom is part of them. Bring them to me. And he brought them to him. Bless them because he was really comfortable with things. The Holy Spirit can go with you anyway. The Holy Spirit can be acknowledged no matter where you are, what you're doing. Don't leave him at home because you have to go to school or work. In mentality. Of course, you know you can't escape it. His presence is always with you. But you can ignore him. You can have a relationship with him and never pay attention. It's like, you know, sometimes old married couples, if they, they're just basically living under a roof, they have two entirely different lives, they may not even talk to each other. That <clears throat> happens occasionally, but that's not the ideal. There has to be a relationship and inclusion at all times. And it's the same. If not, one or the other will become grieved, just like a friend. Same with a marriage. Also in the relationship with the Spirit of the Lord. He can be hurt. So be careful about that. We know that He, number two, intercedes for us. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So now we see the Holy Spirit actively working in our lives to make intercession for us. We know that Jesus intercedes for us. We know that He's at the right hand of the Father. Well, basically, Jesus prays for us. He's our representative, our path, our way to the Father. There is no other way. He gets information, the purposes and the plans of the Father for your life. He conveys that information to us. How? By messenger of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit carries the blueprint, the plan, and the thing that we need. Why? Because for God's people in accordance with the will of God, the Spirit is interceding. In other words, what the Father's plan is, that's what He's praying for. And if there are issues or there are problems that you cannot um, reconcile uh, in life, He's working it out for you. In other words, you don't even know how to pray or what to do about it, but He will be there for you, and He will do everything He can. 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. A person has a mind. The Spirit has a mind. And he's interceding and praying for us. He's very active in that regard. Number three, he makes decisions according to his will. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous power. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. That sounds like a very active individual or person. What He decides, what He determines, He makes the choice. In other words, on earth, God in person, in the Holy Spirit, is calling the shots. And you find a lot of power from the Spirit in what He says, what He does, how He acts, he is God on earth with us. And He's the one that has the resources. And He's the one that has all things to give you whatever He wants to give you. Now, if you start thinking about the fact that maybe you've grieved Him, you don't want to get on His bad side. Because He's the source of everything. He's got the stuff you need. He's got the help that you need. He has the treasures, the gifts all of the blessings, the ambiance of heaven comes through His ushering, through His presence. It's what He gives to you. And therefore, if He's the one that determines this, we best respect Him as an individual. And a lot of people do not have the active blessings in a spiritual capacity simply because they fail to respect the Spirit as a person active in their lives. It's up to Him. In other words, what I'm saying, everything is up to Him. He's making the choices. I want to be on his good side. I want to woo him. I want to romance him. I want to convince him that I am a good place for him to give his gifts. I want him to feel like, you know what, I like Stephen so much. I'm just going to bless him because he's always blessing me. And that's what we do with friends, right? People who love you, bless you, take care of you. You feel kind of obligated to bless them back. And you do so. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. He's interceding for us. He's blessing us. He's making decisions according to His will. Let's go to the next one. We see number four. He speaks. I like this because we see it on different levels. Acts 8.29 The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near. Now we know this is Philip on the road uh, that was leading to Jericho on, on, on the road that, uh, he, I'm sorry, the Gaza Strip, that road there, when he was on his way, that the Lord sent him there. While he was there, the Spirit told Philip. That means the Holy Spirit. Who's there at this moment in the story? Nobody. It's Philip and a person called the Holy Spirit. And it says, the Spirit told Philip. You say, well, how did he do that? That's a good question. I'm not absolutely sure. I wasn't there. But he, it says he told him. How do you tell a thing without words? How will those words convey? It's a good question. How do you hear the person of the Spirit speak to you? But yet we see throughout the Scriptures that again and again, this is only a fraction of the passages that say the Spirit was speaking and saying and doing things. I just hand-picked a few. He told Philip, hey, do this. 
And of course, Philip had a choice whether or not to listen. In Acts 10, 19, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, you know the vision, the sheep with the animals and the unclean things that he was told to eat. He said, no, I can't eat those. I've never eaten anything unclean. He said, oh, don't call unclean what I call clean. And he taught him how to accept the Gentiles so that he could be a messenger to them. But after that, now, he was still thinking about the vision. The Spirit said to him. In other words, the Spirit is speaking to him, but not when he was in the trance. He was in a trance. He was in a dream. Because sometimes we think, well, the Spirit speaks in dreams. The Spirit speaks in a realm of supernatural uh, mentality like this. That he's going to take me into this visionary state. Or No, that already happened. So this is after that. While he's just thinking about that, then the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. That's really specific words. Who was on the roof? Uh, as far as we know, just Peter. And who? A person called the Holy Spirit. If it had been Jesus, it would have said, and Jesus appeared to him on the roof and spoke to him. In the vision, he was talking to the Lord, and the Lord was, was doing what he was doing to convey that. But when he came back into the earthly realms of consciousness, God speaking was the Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Now we see a different category of the house of the voice of the Spirit. High speaks Acts 13.2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, this means at the same time they were worshiping and the same time that they were fasting, of course, but as they were worshiping, praising God and worshiping Him, in that moment it says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work of to which I have called them. Now this is a passage where we might consider that the Spirit is speaking but through prophecy. Because it says there were prophets and teachers there in the 13th chapter of Acts at the church called Antioch. So he can speak through individuals. The Spirit can speak however he wants to speak. But these two are clearly individual Spirit speaking to the disciples of Christ. And also he can do the same thing to us. And does. He speaks to me often. I hear his voice often. Why? Because I consider him as a person. You know, it's interesting that I usually do not hear him speaking to me until I have acknowledged him in a given moment. It'd be like the, the, the politeness, the pleasantries of uh, society. It's rude for me to just walk in to, you, to your presence and just start talking to you and asking you questions. Don't I usually say, hello? Good morning, good afternoon. I like when I was in Uganda. They were really, really focused on those greetings. You have to say the greeting. If you don't say the greeting, they, they, won't, they won't talk. Literally, I've had it happen. I walked into the office. I was sent to go get some, um, some something. Uh, uh, I had my PowerPoint. I needed to print some papers for my message. And in Uganda, I went to the office where the secretary was, and I said, um, I said, I needed to make some, I just went right in, ignorant, I just went right and said, I need to make some copies, could you print these papers out? And she said, she looked at me, she said, good afternoon. And I said, I felt spanked, you know, I felt like, like I'm, I felt scolded. And I said, oh, uh, yeah, good afternoon, I'm, I'm very sorry. How are you? I said, I'm very well, ma'am, thank you. How are you today? And she insisted that we engage in a conversation. 
and it lasted for about three minutes with my thumb drive in my hand. That's a long time when you urgently try to get something done. But I, I didn't want to break the rules of the right way. She was right, I was wrong, you understand? I'm the pushy American man trying to get what I want. And I submitted to her, and then after that she said, now, what can I do for you? <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit, you know we often refer to the Holy Spirit as a gentleman. He is. I think He is very sensitive. I think that aforementioned feelings being hurt is not hard to do. I think it's pretty easy to grieve. I think we need to be kind to Him. We need to speak to Him. A long time ago, Benny Hinn wrote a very famous book called Good Morning Holy Spirit. A lot of people didn't think that you could say good morning to the Holy Spirit. That shows right there and reflects an, a relationship with the Spirit like a person. And this is one of the greatest revelations of my... I mean, I met Jesus, I got saved. Jesus came into my heart. I was washed in the blood. My whole life was commissioned and sent. But it took me quite a while to really develop the relationship with the Holy Spirit that I had. And I found out that I can't just go barging into His presence and tell Him what to do. It doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. So I go and I say, Lord, I love you. Thank you. How are you today? I will actually say good morning to the Lord. I'll say good afternoon to the Lord. I will greet the Lord. I'll say thank you. Thank you, Lord. And begin to speak to Him. And then He will say now. What can I do for you? Now, especially when we've had extended worship, you walk in and you spend enough time praising anybody, they're going to give you whatever. I mean, you can get a lot of... If you just treat people right in the real world, that is the physical world, you'll get a lot more. You just... I, I learned something a long time ago. Any bank individual, a teller, a manager, any uh, checkout cashier, any individual in a place of service, you can see when they're frustrated. If they are female, and they have nail polish on, I always say, those are really pretty nails. And they stop everything. Oh, oh, thank you. And it changes everything. And everything is for me. I used to, oh, you're manipulating them. No, I'm just being kind. <laughs> in the bank, same thing. Oh, those people are there to serve me. Yeah, you can have that mentality if you want, but what if you walk in and say, how are you today? How are you doing? It's very nice to see you. If I can tell that they're Malay, I'll switch to Bahasa. I'll say, you know, Salamat Siang, you know, I'll talk to them. Abakalar, um, you know, I'll talk to them and they, um, you speak Bahasa. Yeah, I speak a little bit and then all of a sudden they're my best friend in the whole world. Anything that I need, they will not only do it for me, they will fight for my benefit. And they do. They will then, well, this we're not supposed to really do this, but they'll do things that aren't even supposed to be done. Favors, right? That's what a favor is. Why? Because of some simple pleasantness. And this is a conversation. We see that they spoke to the Spirit, the Spirit spoke to them. Uh, we know this, the next one, uh, he has an opinion. We don't often think about this, but it's interesting, this scripture caught my eye, Acts 15, 20. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Now we know this is the council in Jerusalem when they compiled the basic rules for Gentiles. They didn't want them to be under the law, but they, they, they had to name at least a few things. Pretty important things they named um, for them. But at this time, they're 
grouped together in Jerusalem, the consensus of opinion was formed by two sides. The Holy Spirit and to us, it says, and the people. That Paul said, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon us. It says in the scripture that he will work with us confirming the word that we preach with signs and wonders. We see a collaborative effort between the person of the Spirit and us. The fellowship, koinonia, means equal sharing. It means if there are 35 people in the room, I need to cut the cake into 35 slices. So that we all get a piece. That's shared. That's what Paul meant when he said, why is it that when you come together to have your koinonia, or your love feast, that there are people who go hungry, and other people, don't you have food at home to eat? The point is not that you get full. The point is that everybody have some so that you can share together. That fellowship is what it's about. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will often ask you what you think. I'm real careful with that because it's usually a trap. <laughs> He'll ask me, what do I think about? Oh, well, I'll give my opinion, but usually it's because he wants to correct my wrong opinion. And he tells me the truth after I say it. But very often, it's what we want to do. Then he looks at us. What do you think? If I'm in a room with people and we have to come to an agreement about doing the thing, I will look at you and I will ask you, hey guys, what do you think about we all go Saturday to Sentosa and have a beach party and we'll have ham and cheese and potato salad, we'll have a great time. And I look around and I can, without hearing you say officially, I wholeheartedly agree and would like to participate, you can just look at me and give me a nod. I go, hmm, that means, okay, seems good to you. And this is often how the Holy Spirit, as a person, will make you feel. And how this happens is you come up with an idea, you let it out of your mouth, and you speak it, and when you say it, a, a weird smile comes on your face. You feel this warm fuzzy. It seems good to the Holy Spirit. Because that feeling is coming from the presence of the person of the Spirit. It's how I do everything in life. Conversely, if I say something and I tell you all, hey guys, I got this great idea. We're all going to go to JB tomorrow. Who wants to go? And you, know, <laughs> you don't want to go. Oh, you don't want to go? No, thanks. Why? Because we live in Singapore. That's why. In JB. Well, anyway, if you're in JB, I love you. Those are on the internet. But you know, you're always trying to come to Singapore, and I know why. Because it's just better. More expensive, but it's better. And so it's the same. I would be able to tell it does not seem good to you. There's oftentimes it doesn't seem good to the Holy Spirit. I've never felt that. You're all excited about something. Hey, I got a good idea. And you blah, 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 blah. You say it, and then there's this reverse feeling, coldness. Like, like the Holy Spirit did this. You don't like that. Because sometimes it doesn't seem good to the Holy Spirit. Even if it does to us. But there is that sweet spot in life in the decision making process when, it's, when it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And everybody comes into an agreement that unity is what Jesus prayed for for his disciples in the 17th chapter of John. That they would be one. They would have one all together in unity. Or two or more gather in his name. Whatever they agree upon, he will do that. That's the koinonia, the fellowship of the Spirit. He has an opinion, and we want to make sure that we are aware of that opinion. We have a couple of more. The next one, number six, he restrains us. This is a good one. 
Paul and his companions, it says in Acts 16, 6, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now this word kept here, it means simply to stand in the way. It means to hold back. In other words, think of a small child in a dangerous place. Your child is running around and there's pits that they can fall into or a swimming pool is a good analogy. You know, you go where there's a pool and the little toddler's running. Uh, you as a mother, father, anyone in, in taking care of a child, what do you do? You, you oh, no, 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 come back over here. You're nervous. You're watching, being very careful. One of the most amazing things on a tangent that I ever saw was this man in Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee. He had a border collie. You ever see a border collie? It's a beautiful dog. Like what they reported, they're the most intelligent dogs on the planet. This dog, by itself, never trained to do it. They have a built-in swimming pool in their backyard. They could put 15 kids, toddlers, back there and never have to watch them. That dog would never allow them to get close to the edge of the pool. And would just, as they would go, the dog would just become a wall. And they'd run into the dog and pat it, and the dog would just push them like that, away from the pool. And he'd see someone else, he'd run over there. He just policed, because that was what they were bred to do, to keep sheep safe. And then instinctively they know to do that. In a way, that's more like what this means. A restraining. You're about to do something. It's not that you thought about it, because in the last case you saw that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we're oblivious to what He feels. We just make the choice. And we do it. But then after the wheels are in motion... What happens? We feel something pulling us back. And that's the Spirit of the Lord. And that's exactly what happened. Have been kept by those Spirit. I'm telling you, I have been restrained by the Holy Spirit thousands of times. Because I'm always full of great ideas. I, I think they're great. <laughs> they're not. It says, many are the thoughts of man, but only the counsel of the Lord will endure. And who's the one to make sure that we are walking in that council? Who has the plan, as it said earlier? Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that has the plan according to the will of the Father. He's looking at the plan. He sees you stepping off the plan. He's like, no, 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 no. Stay away from the pool. You're going the wrong way. And of course, uh, we have to be careful not to uh, get to the point that we are calloused and no longer feeling that restraint. Because we can fight. You can fight through it. Because he's a gentleman. If you want to hurt yourself, he's going to let you. you want, okay? Sometimes we even do that with children, don't we? Because they say, I want to do this, I want you to know, don't do that, don't do that. Finally, all right, go ahead, do it. See what happens. And they go, they fall. We know they're not going to die, but they'll, they will get bruised and maybe hurt. But then they learn the lesson. That's the same in a relationship. Just think of the Holy Spirit a lot more like a person and less like a cloud or a gas or just a mystic presence. Think of him as an individual with us. And he can restrain you, and it is most important. The last one, number seven. He compels us. Acts 20, 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Now, this compulsion, compelling, is the same word used in the passage where it says, whatever we bind, he will bind. And everywhere else it's translated. He was bound by the Spirit. And this is when the Holy Spirit is in a relationship with you and you have given Him charge. 
and he is compelling you. This is pressure on you to do something that he wants you to do. And it's a good thing to have in our life. I put it last because this actually requires a lot of maturity. This requires a great sensitivity to the person of the Spirit so that you know and He can control you by speaking to you, of course, but then by being bound by the Spirit. I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we uh, talk about binding and loosening. and We don't want to get in bondage. Actually, we do want to get into this kind of bondage. I want to be bound by the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit because I think He knows better than I do about my own life. And so I trust Him. Of course, this was a dangerous situation. Paul here is talking about going to Jerusalem at a time where everyone in Jerusalem wanted Him dead. All the leaders of Jerusalem decided to kill Him. And that's why He was not in Jerusalem because He refused to go back. But now the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, no, I'm binding you to it. That's really rough. Why would he want to go there? Well, because the Lord said, this happens. It happens. And when it happens, don't you don't have to worry about it. You won't be confused. It's obvious. You feel it and you know it. One time, years ago, I was invited to do, with a, with a pastor in Indonesia, I was invited to do, you've heard this story before, but I just want to share this one, one last story and then we're going to pray. I invited to do a crusade in Indonesia and... They advertised it there in Indonesia. It got out that I was coming. And the venue they were at it was in the shopping uh, center. And when it got out to the leaders of the community who were you know, Muslim individuals, they, they put a lot of restraint and control on what Christians can and cannot do in Indonesia. And they used the laws. Within the parameters of the law, they can actually figure that out. And they did. They found out what was going to happen, and by law, there's a law that says that I could not preach in public in Indonesia. And if I came in as a foreigner preaching, it says that they said, if he comes, we're going to arrest him. And we're going to arrest who's ever in charge of this meeting. So the pastor called me to tell me that the meeting was canceled. And when he told me, I was on the phone, and he said the meeting is canceled. The Holy Spirit immediately compelled me. And I said, no, I have to go. He says, no, you don't understand. They'll arrest you. I said, I have to go. They're like, no, you can't. See, because they said, they, I said, I, I just, I don't know. And I felt sick. I felt so scared. But I knew the Holy Spirit was compelling me. And I decided to go. And I said goodbye to my wife. We talked about how at least I could have a prison ministry in Indonesia. <laughs> and they, but because I knew I had to go, I had no choice. Very scary. Uh, and at that moment, that's how Jesus felt compelled by the Spirit to go to His own crucifixion. Sometimes you know, even though there's going to be suffering, that you have to do it because of that compulsion. And so, to make a long story short, in that particular case, amazing thing, God did a miracle in Indonesia by causing some friends, not even Christians, a couple of people found out about that became the scuttlebutt of that area, that this American missionary was going to come and that they closed it down because it's illegal and that he can't and blah, blah, blah. Well, these lawyers looked into it, not even Christians, they just were curious. And they found a loophole in the law. That in fact, the area we're going to do it, and although it was considered public, it was owned by people as a shopping center and was therefore private property. They wrote up an affidavit, declared it legally private property, 
released it, and it circumvented the law. Now, this happened at the time I was in the ferry boat heading to, to Indonesia. So I didn't even know about it. Uh, so the whole ferry ride, for, for early in the ride, the problem was already solved. I didn't know that. I'm just sick on the boat. <laughs> the whole way, I step out of the boat, I go through immigration. You know, I can hear the funeral music in my head. Boom, 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 boom. And I go and the pastor comes all excited. Hey, hey, what is he happy? <laughs> and I greeted him. Uh, you know what I mean? He said, great news. And he told me about what had happened. And I thought, wow, see, that's how powerful God is. And this is what we know. If he's compelling you, Holy Spirit compels you. Uh, he's got a plan you just don't know about. Just submit. Submit with the Lord, what the Lord says. And, uh, so, and you know, it's hard to do that. But if you have a relationship, you develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit, it won't be that hard because you know it. Things that would confuse people, if they have the Spirit, I like what it says in 1 John, I quote it all the time, uh, you have an unction from the Holy One. You have an anointing. You don't need any man to teach you. You know in your heart because the Spirit is on you. You won't be confused. The Holy Spirit, if you're close, you walk in that relationship with the Holy Spirit, you will understand and know. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is the everything we saw, summation of it all, the divine person of the Holy Spirit. Seven things that show us the Holy Spirit is a person he can be hurt. Don't grieve the Spirit. Number two, He intercedes for us. He's doing that right now in this room. He's praying for you about your mentality concerning this message. He says, yeah, I hope they get this because I really want to spend time with them. Because that's all He wants. That's all He desperately wants is to be your best friend. He longs for that. That's His whole function on earth is to walk with you. He wants that so much. He makes decisions according to his will. He's gonna he's gonna do what he wants to do. We just need he speaks. Listen. Listen to him. Say good morning to him in the morning and say, if you have anything to say to me today, Holy Spirit, you tell me. He has an opinion. And we want to know it. If it seems good to him, you'll know it. If it doesn't, you'll know it. If you are his friend. He restrains us. Sometimes he's gonna hold you back. And then, on the opposite, he compels us. Sometimes he's going to hold you back. Sometimes he's going to shove you forward. I like that. I like that. I want God to be in control of my life. I really do. If I'm going to do something stupid, which I'm very capable of doing, he can stop me. And I will listen. And if I'm reluctant, and I'm dragging my feet, and I'm frightened, but he knows what's best, he will compel me. And I will yield to that as well and do what he wants to do. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.